Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're going to dive right in today. April is Occupational Therapy Month. And so what better way to celebrate than to do an entire episode dedicated specifically to our amazing occupational therapist colleagues and the work that they do for us and our veterans. I'm really fortunate to be talking to three of our amazing Durham OTs today. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Thanks, Dr. Caputa. Hello, uh, good afternoon. It's a party good to be today. here. <laughs> good to be, yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm going to introduce each of them directly, and I suspect you've all worked with them in some capacity, whether it was directly or indirectly working with patients. First off, we have Nicole Byerly. She has been at the Durham VA as an occupational therapist for over nine years, and she wears several hats, including also serving as a health coach for veterans in the outpatient setting. Hannah Barrett is also with us today. She's been at the Durham VA for eight years and is a geriatric OT specialist. She works in both the ICUs and the POSH clinic. And then last but not least, we have Julie Eister. Uh, she also has an interest in geriatric veteran care, specifically in the area of mental health. And she even completed a VA fellowship in that area. She's been at the Durham VA for three years and splits her time between the inpatient wards and running the TLC program, actually, which is awesome. Uh, so thank you all for being here. Duke residents, y'all are very fortunate to have these women at your disposal. We're going to get to know them and the work that they do a little bit better today. Uh, let's dive right in. Let's talk about occupational therapy. Tell me, what exactly is it? When do our patients need it? Uh, so this is Hannah. And... To me, our job is to help you focus on the jobs of living. I find the word occupation throws people off um, and they think that we're there to help get them jobs. But I find occupation does a really good job of saying what we do because as therapists, we believe the engagement and any desired occupation is a way to promote progress or to help someone work towards their goals. And in the acute care setting, we really focus on those tasks they need to work on to get home or to help them with a discharge plan. So OT has a very wide scope of practice. Of course, we focus on the ADLs, the bathing, the dressing, the toileting, IADLs, um, health and wellness, rest and sleep, leisure, social participation. So we really do look at what people want to work on so they can have the quality of life and they can meet their goals. In inpatient acute care, we have a little bit more of a narrow focus because we are focused on that discharge plan. Yeah, and we definitely lean on OT and our PT colleagues in helping us figure out safe dif dispo plans for our veterans when their hospitalization is coming to an end. When do patients need occupational therapy? How do we know when to consult? This is Julie. I will take that question. So the earlier, the better, because that gives us enough time to meet the veteran, to obtain any collateral that we need from them or from family members, to address any adaptive equipment needs, and then to connect them with other rehab services. So the earlier, the better. And the things that you should be listening for that would kind of indicate a need for an OT um, consult would be some kind of change in baseline. So a change in how they're doing their self-care, their ADLs, 
or a change in how they're doing their IADLs, which are like those higher level life management skills, driving, medications, you know, cooking and cleaning, those kinds of things. A family member could have brought their veteran in because they're they're not showering anymore. They can't get out of bed, right? And so that would automatically indicate that there's been some change in their baseline and, and an OT consult is appropriate. They could have had an injury or an accident. You know, they broke an arm, they broke a leg. They're going to be limited in what they're able to do. So that would be an OT consult. If someone needs surgery, especially those surgeries with those long kind of long-term precautions afterwards, those would also kind of indicate an OT consult. Okay, got it. So I think what I'm hearing is really anytime there's a change in a baseline functional status, whether it's physical or mental, then it might be a good idea to get y'all involved or potentially a change in family's goals for care, like if they need extra help. Right, right. Okay, got it. So, you know, a lot of that sounds like, at least in some ways, it overlaps with physical therapy. And, you know, I asked our PT colleagues on the last episode the same question, and now I'm going to ask y'all, Could you speak a little bit about the difference between physical therapy and occupational therapy? I'll take that question. This is Nicole. PT generally focuses on things like motor skills, range of motion, balance, endurance, and strength, while OT focuses on treating patients who are recovering not only from physical deficits, but also perhaps mental and behavioral deficits that impact the person's ability to perform their daily activities. So the goal of occupational therapy really is to empower the person and sort of optimize their independence as much as possible in their social environment. We do this in several different ways. First, we look to restore their function by training the veteran to relearn a task by breaking it down into simple steps. This, however, may not be effective for everyone. And we may need to modify the task by teaching veterans energy conservation strategies in order to perform the task. Some veterans, such as like within the stroke population, we teach veterans how to use more compensatory skills to perform their self-care. So basically, principles of OT are not only founded in physical rehabilitation, but also mental health care. That's kind of where... OT got its roots, was in in mental health. We're looking at the person holistically and considering their physical, emotional, environmental factors that affect participation and performance in meaningful activities. Wow, thank you for that really clear description. I I didn't know that OT had its roots in mental health, and we should probably mention that the ninth floor is the uh, inpatient psychiatry service. And that group has its own separate OT team. It sounds like OT is an incredibly broad specialty, more broad than I think most of us realize. And when we're consulting occupational therapy, obviously one of the questions that we, at least as inpatient medicine providers have is, you know, how much support for this does this veteran need when they leave the hospital and what is the most appropriate dispo location? What other questions specifically can we ask occupational therapy when we're asking them to get involved in our patient's care in the hospital? And What kind of information should we put into our consult for you all to help you answer those questions? So when the consult is placed, it would probably help to know more what it is the provider is looking for. If a provider is concerned about the veteran's cognitive function or their ability to manage medication, or perhaps they're wondering, well, what is it about their home environment that's making frequent falls occur, then 
we can assess their home, even though we're not there visualizing it, we can get a pretty clear picture by not only talking to the veteran, but also perhaps talking to family members, generally spouse, to get a really good idea of what may be going on. Other things to look at, perhaps physical systems, you know, like their visual acuity. We uh, can do like a screening, perhaps for visual acuity. We may very well be able to see how their overshooting or undershooting when they go to do a task. They're putting the toothpaste on the toothbrush and yet they're not even hitting the bristles. So we can sort of look at these things and in combination see why something's occurring. For example, falls is very good because it's multifaceted. And of course, weight-bearing status. I think sometimes providers don't think about the fact that we are getting people up, we're mobilizing people just like physical therapy. So it's very important that we know what their weight bearing status is as well. Yeah, that's really helpful. So so I think in my future OT consults, I'm going to be really deliberate to put in the patients and tell me if you like this idea, Nicole, patients baseline functional status prior to admission, any acute changes that happen to them, whether it's a stroke or a surgery or whatever, that raises my concern that something about their ability to care for themselves may have changed. And then specific challenges that they're having, whether it's getting dressed or brushing their teeth or something like that. Yeah, that would be extremely helpful. Yeah, well, that's definitely practice changing for me. So thank you for that. Could y'all tell me a little bit about what exactly happens in an OT session? Once you've done your chart review and you actually go see the patient, what kind of things do you do with them and for them in that interaction? This is Hannah. And one thing I like about OT is that no one treatment session looks the same. It depends on what our plan of care is and what our focus is on. So if we are looking at focusing on ADLs, like we could do a session where we're helping someone get dressed. You know, are they ready to progress from doing groomy tasks, sitting down? Are they ready to get back to standing in front of the sink? We could potentially also, you know, do a treatment session where we're working on bathing and taking a shower. And then also, you know, if our treatment is looking at functional cognition, you might walk in and see us playing a card game with someone, but we're really targeting the, the cognitive deficits that we've observed that the veteran has. You know, we also really work with people who develop delirium during their inpatient stay. So we're trying to work on attention span and following directions. As Nicole mentioned, we also do visual perceptual, like any part of the body or body systems that might have a deficit that keeps someone from doing their their task, like we will address it. So, you know, you might see someone who has, you know, after a stroke, you might see us out in the hallway, potentially doing wayfinding or locating objects. You know, if someone has balance deficit, we're thinking about them going home and having to manage in their kitchen and grabbing, you need to grab items from different height levels. So we might be in their hospital room having objects set up throughout their room and they're having to like bend down low and get it or reach up high and get it. In the VA, we are very privileged that we get to issue adaptive equipment free of charge uh, to the veterans to thank them for their service. And that is not something that it does not happen in the private sector. We recognize that that is a privilege. And so we do, if someone needs a shower chair, we could also be addressing that. So OT, we do handle adaptive equipment to help people be safe and successful in their home, but that is not all we do. And then other things that we work on is doing different standardized screens or assessments 
to help us determine our plan of care or potential recommendations for discharge planning. And we have a wide battery, uh, different assessments we can do. One of the ones that we use in the PT session they really talked about was the FEM the functional independence measure. That is something that we also use that helps us grade and figure out, figure out the assistance level someone needs to do ADLs, to get up and move. We also look at IADLs. One assessment that is frequently requested is a Texas assessment that could potentially give us insight as to the level of support someone needs. Yeah, that's the Texas functional living scale. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Psychiatry in particular has often asked us for that. Yes. And the reason they, the, the Texas is valuable is because it provides a T-score that then correlates to the level of assistance someone might need and not a lot of IADLs have that research behind them that we can kind of say this assessment indicates the level of support that they need, but we have a wide variety of other IADL assessments that we also like to give that can focus on bill paying, medication management, we do home safety assessments. Also, we look at health literacy and we can do delirium assessments as well. Hannah, there is no shortage of delirium scores to choose from. What's your favorite? So I prefer the the 3D cam. So your clinical observation is just as valuable as the answers that you get from the assessment. So that's why I like that one because it combines both. Yeah, that's awesome. So for the residents, I would encourage you all to go on your curriculum website. We will have links to PDFs of these functional scales and cognitive scales that the OTs use all the time. Sounds like what y'all do is not only highly skilled, but also evidence-based. And so we're a huge fan of that in the medicine service for sure. Um, Currently, the one we're using the most frequently is the slums, which was actually developed out of a VA. But we do get asked to do a MOCA or slums very frequently. So as OTs, what we do is we'll go in and assess to see if someone is delirious. And if someone is delirious, we do not feel comfortable giving assessment that would reflect on potentially someone's baseline when they're not at baseline. Yeah, I think that's really well stated. Even though the slums was born out of the VA, it is used outside of the VA as well. Yes, yes. Julie, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, I think the, the most important thing to remember about the slums or the MOCA is that it is a screening tool. And, you know, we're asking people to do things that are not real life daily things that they do, right? We don't remember five kind of unrelated objects and we don't recite all the animals we can think of in in a certain amount of time. And so it does kind of, it gives us a a sense of where to go, but it's not functional in any way. And I think all of us as OTs can talk about how someone did, you know, maybe poorly on the MOCA or not, not so well, or, you know, not so well in the slums, but then they can still manage their medications. You know, they can still cook and, and grocery shop. And so it is just a screening to help us figure out next steps. You know, it is something that you can, yeah, trend over a long period of time. And I know that we, we give it often. I know that, you know, some of residents or medical students give it something to note that there, there are instructions online. Anyone can really give it. You just want to make sure you're aware of, of the kind of the protocol for it so that you're scoring them appropriately. So this is a ton of information that y'all are putting together for a single patient. How do you use all this assessment to make recommendations on things like disposition and living situations? So I'm going to 
talk you through our thought process a little bit. So the first kind of the most important thing we need to figure out is, you know, where is the veteran coming from? What kind of support is already in place? Are they living alone? Are they living with a roommate that provides intermittent support? Do they have a spouse? Um, is their spouse able-bodied? Um, those kinds of things. So what kind of support do they already have in place? And then we think about this hospitalization, right? Was there, you know, either it's an injury or a surgery or Maybe they came in for a change of cognition and thinking about, you know, in that context now, what can they do safely on their own and what do they need help with? Um, and then thinking about, can they return to their prior living situation with the support that they have there, right? Is, is there enough support for them to return to that, whether that be an ALF or home with a spouse or home alone. And then we're not really sure if they can return to that prior living situation. We can think about additional supports. Do they need equipment to make that possible? Do they need a home health aid to make that possible? Do they need some home health therapy to make that possible? So we think about that. And then if we don't feel safe, like they're safe to return to whatever that previous living environment was at this point, we start to think, is there rehab potential? If we were to send them to skilled nursing rehab, would those deficits improve? If we do think those deficits would improve enough to then allow them to return to that previous living situation, then we may recommend rehab for a stint. But then there, there are some situations in which the deficits can't be addressed in rehab. They're not going to change. And that that's more common with kind of progressive illnesses or dementia. So then you have to start thinking, well, where the veteran is now, what do they need, right? Do they need 24-7 supervision? Are we thinking at long-term care placement? Are we thinking they could go back to their home if they had a 24-7 caregiver? So those are kind of, that's our, our thought process as we're thinking through the disposition recommendations. I think it's important to note that OT and PT recommendations do not have to match and they don't always match. Maybe they can very safely get in the shower and transfer, but from an OT perspective, maybe there's not like the fine motor or there's not the sequencing or the initiation or the termination of the task or the vision. And so even though they can get in, they can't safely kind of complete the task. That's kind of why you'll see different recommendations just because we're looking at different things. Julie, that brings up an interesting question that does occasionally come up as we're working towards DISPOS or for some of our veterans. We're often told that PT and OT recommendations do need to agree in order for someone to be placed in a rehab. Is that true? Yeah, okay. I think the, the recommendation to go is definitely stronger when they do match. And I would say the vast majority of time we do match, and, but there are exceptions and PT and OT work very closely together. And, you know, I, I would encourage the residents to listen to the PT episode as well. So, okay, let's say that we have a recommendation it's in the chart, but we have a question or we have a clarification. How do we find y'all? Let's see. We are housed on the second floor um, to be wing, kind of where their um, outpatient rehab is. That's just where our desks are, but we spend most of our day kind of on the floors floating around. So the best way to reach us is usually teams and you can find which therapist has been assigned to the veteran by looking at the consult. We'll put our names at the bottom of the consult saying like assigned to Nicole or Julie or Hannah, and then yeah, reach out to us via teams. That's going to be the easiest way or stop by the gym on the seventh floor. 
And usually we can either we're in there or someone can find us. They know where they are, where we are and can pass on a message. Okay. Well, this was a tremendously eye-opening and educational conversation. I want to thank each one of you for your time to teach me and the residents about all the amazing work that you do for our veterans and, and for us as an interdisciplinary team. I can't thank you enough. So thank you so much to Nicole, Hannah, and Julie for your time today and happy Occupational Therapist Month. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So residents, again, I'll just direct you one more time to your curriculum websites where we'll have some links to some of the, the rating tools that the occupational therapists at the Durham VA and probably elsewhere use as they assess our veterans and their needs. And as always, the views and opinions expressed today are our own, do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Durham VA or the Veterans Health Administration.